dreaming is just such an unstructured thing that we don't even understand what it is. So I certainly think that augmented people would be able to dream. And uh, I think that's one of the next steps for humans. Not that AI will come and take our place, but that we, we will be just augmented as we are augmented right now with these current tools. Because having ChatGPT as my editor definitely is augmentation of my writing capabilities. Too much humanization of it. Um, and we we talking about it in this article is that it just changes your perspective and it actually limits you because if you think just in this mimic human angle that's not very wide you need to have a bigger picture you just need to explore every possibility of the machine or the algorithm we as researchers should not limit ourselves over 20 years of her career Ksenia Se has donned many hats from New York chief editor of a global media platform to fintech executive to PR director at Moscow's first contemporary art center to journalist and even to a llama walker. Regardless of her role, her passion for technology has always remained. In 2018, after a brief affair with blockchain, AI and machine learning caught her attention and became her fields of self-study. By 2019, she had started thinking about a media publication named Turing Post to feature digital avatars, articles written by robots, generative art, and more, but the technology wasn't there yet. Then in 2020, during the pandemic, Ksenia and Jesus Rodriguez conceived an educational AI newsletter. Named The Sequence, it became her gateway to machine learning, where she currently spearheads partnerships. When the buzz around ChatGPT grew, she revived her first idea and launched Turing Post, now serving as her AI canvas. As an avid learner, Ksenia helps readers understand AI's roots, its current impact on society, and where it might take us in the future. Importantly, she discusses how we might steer its course. Beyond tech, Ksenia champions citizen diplomacy. She firmly believes that even one person can affect change in the world. She's a board member at Track 2, an institute for citizen diplomacy, and is writing a book about its history. She's lectured globally, led the question editorially, and has articles and publications like Stratfor, Towards Data Science, Forbes, and more. Cassini and I met through running newsletters that explore AI, and I couldn't be more excited to bring her on the show. We both share a passion for technology, curiosity, and learning. And if you haven't already, subscribe to each of our newsletters. The links will be in the description. In today's episode, you'll learn more about the history of large language models, known as LLMs, in addition to the importance of Alan Turing, how the Turing test is still relevant, and interesting questions Turing asked that we're still exploring. Ksenia also shares how she uses AI in her own work, thoughts on the future of humans augmenting our abilities with technology, and why we shouldn't anthropomorphize tech too much, but instead should expand beyond our human-like thinking to not limit ourselves and the possibilities of evolving with technology. One question we explore is, do machines think? Keep listening to find out the answer. Enjoy. But have you ever thought, what if this is all just a dream? 
Welcome to Creativity Squared. Discover how creatives are collaborating with artificial intelligence in your inbox, on YouTube, and on your preferred podcast platform. Hi, I'm Helen Todd, your host, and I'm so excited to have you join the weekly conversations I'm having with amazing pioneers in the space. The intention of these conversations is to ignite our collective imagination at the intersection of AI and creativity to envision a world where artists thrive. Cynthia, welcome to Creativity Squared. It's so good to have you on the show today. Hi, Hel. Very nice to be here, and thank you for the invitation. Yeah, well, it was so nice. Um, we actually met uh, because we each have newsletters that explore AI. Um, but for our readers and listeners and viewers who haven't met you yet, uh, could you share uh, who you are and your origin story? Sure. Um, so my name is Ksenia, Ksenia Se. I'm the founder and uh, the main creative power behind Turing Post. It's a publication about artificial intelligence and machine learning. I've been doing so many things throughout all these years. It's even hard to find the place where to start. But my background is in journalism. And um, currently my two passions are artificial intelligence and telling stories about it educating people about it, understanding it better myself. And the second passion would be uh, the citizen diplomacy, that it's not the part of this podcast, but I just want to mention it. Um, it's important for me. My journey started as a young PR marketeer for the Art Center in Moscow. And uh, since then, art and creativity was a very important part of my um thinking of my way of enjoying life. But since then, I've been doing journalism. And my main focus was always on technology. So at some point, when I moved to New York in 2018, and I've been living in New York before that, but that was sort of the second time when I moved to the city, there was the time of blockchain. And um, I started to work for a company that was creating financial analytics uh, about digital currency. And they were using artificial intelligence to build this analytics. So as a speaker for the company, I went to a lot of conferences, a lot of, you know, meetings. And I, at some point, realized that the main thing that I'm actually telling people about is not about blockchain, but it's about artificial intelligence and what is it um, and how we use it and what are the algorithms and what does it mean? And at this moment in 2018, 2019, it was still, I mean, the narrative was basically the same. It was as if artificial intelligence is going to come and conquer us. The Terminators are going to kill us. We will, you know, become jobless and all that. But when I was looking at my iPhone, when I was um, thinking about Netflix and all the recommendation systems, it's just so clear that machine learning and AI is just such an essential part of our life. And we um so close day to day to this technology that we need to understand it better. So I started to learn more about it. And as a journalist, I decided to analyze what's out there 
is there any industry that provides enough information about AI and machine learning? And it happened to be that there were the publications like Forbes that would push the agenda of killing machines or some hype topics. Oh, there was very, very technical, very interesting, but very technical publications like Tor Data Science, Kitty Nuggets, and they extremely useful when you have some experience, but it's hard to uh, to dive headfirst into them when you don't really have enough knowledge. So that's how I came up with the idea to think about another media publication that would connect the dots between all of the people who want to understand and the technology. For my years, as I've been building communities and I've been working on um, these connections between different worlds, that's why I decided to do the same with AI and machine learning. So that's um, that's what I do. I, I build Turing Post and I work on another project uh, about citizen diplomacy with the Institute of Track 2 Institute for Citizen Diplomacy. And they might not be related from the first sight, but they're all about us being a human and uh, learning from the experience, learning from history and building a better world. And, um, you know, we've started in late June. Now it's October. We have 30,000 readers, and it's, um, it's all very fascinating. Congratulations on growing your newsletter so much, uh, AlphaGate. And we both use Beehive, which is a great newsletter platform that we both uh, very much enjoy and recommend. And we'll be sure to include all the links uh, in today's episode. Um, we, well, when we first connected, and we're going to dive more into some of the, the content in the series uh, that you have on Touring Post, because uh, it's really great and really in-depth. And there's definitely... Um, have a clear distinction between what we do on Creativity Squared and how deep you're going into some of these topics. Uh, but when we first connected, uh, and I mentioned, you know, the subject matter of how creatives are collaborating with AI as a journalist and a non-native English speaker, you're immediately like, oh, it's helped me so much with my writing. So I was wondering if we could kind of start there, how you've personally used it uh, as well in writing your newsletter. Yeah. Um, so. Writing is always easier for me in English because you have time to think. When you speak, you make mistakes and whatnot. But even if you spend many, many years writing in a foreign language, you're not fully capable of being as clean with all the grammar and all the coherence as you are in your own language. So for me, it would be always like you write a text, you write an article, and then you have an editor, and then, you know... You do another round of edits and another, so it's like very, very long process. So when ChatGPT um, appeared, it was very like people still talk a lot about how AI is going to do that, how we're going to, you know, lose uh, all our jobs. But I use it a lot, and I just know that it's an amazing tool. And if you are a professional, that just enhance and augment your own uh, professionalism and makes you better and saves you time. So I don't believe it's a matter of either or. It's just a matter of using all these tools for your creativity, for your precision, for your 
you know, saving you time and giving you more freedom, actually being like more creative with other topics. So yeah, um, it's, it's been a great tool since then. And, um, the way I interact with ChatGPT, it's, um, first of all, I, I use a bunch of them partly because I, I'm writing my Turing post overview, which I call the froth and the daydream on Mondays, because, um, the froth and the daydream is an allusion to the, um, um, novel by, by Paris Vian. And it's like this, so it's just the allusion to this kind of dreamy world, which we not really certain about, we don't really know what's coming out of it. It's, um, it can be either very, very solid and real, or it can be all just a dream. So because I write this every uh, week uh, on Mondays, I do overview of a lot of other newsletters, research papers, and tools that I'm writing about. So I'm, I'm uh, using all of these um, uh, generator generators and editors. Um, and uh, I just find it so more, so, so much more um, convenient to kind of cross use, let's say Claude and ChatGPT, and then Bing for something else and Bard for something else, because they all can give you slightly different angle, and it's like having this team of people who just might give you crazy ideas, might give you absolutely worthless ideas, but that you're the one who choosing and you're the one who just like, hmm, yeah, that may be interesting. Let, let me use my brain now and combine all these things and make it really interesting to read. So, yeah, I find these tools uh, to be a good team. I still have people working for me, of course, <laughs> because uh, it's, uh, it's just impossible to do only with the machines but the machines are just a great supportive creative tool that's great i love that i know um when i'm writing uh the subject line for the newsletters instead of bugging a gal on my team of like because i overthink the emojis every word i'll literally put it into chat gpt like a couple variations it's like which one is the best and it will analyze them and tell me why one is stronger what my goal is so i found that just in getting feedback and analyzing ideas that i come up with like super helpful and interesting um do you have any like go-to prompts or things that you're always using them for uh with your newsletter um, I certainly use these uh, special settings in uh, uh, ChatGPT Pro when you can um, uh, just give as a permanent prompt to ChatGPT so it knows who you are, what you're working on, what do you like, how do you like it to be written, how do you like this thing to communicate with you. So this is very helpful. Um, I do have a couple of prompts, but I... Um, first of all, I'm very like practical with it. So it's not that I'm creating with this something new that I, uh, am selling just as it is. I'm more like check grammar. Don't use, uh, don't use, don't change the style. Let's say that's my like, biggest problem. <laughs> but then also what I do is that I, uh, write a little story, how I would write it. Then I add 
small pieces of information that I would include and I say, okay, now like weave it together. And then when it does that, what I find interesting, maybe because when I was studying journalism, my um, speciality was like text analyzing. So I really can analyze text pretty well. And it's very easy for me to distinguish which text was written by ChatGPT and which one by human because working with ChatGPT for the last three, four months, I actually know what words it likes to use, what structure it prefers, how it does it. And it's like, it's quite obvious. So when it gives you this, you know, draft, it's very well, what I like how it does, it's like very well connects the things. And then you basically rewrite it to make it sound really interesting because if you just put it as it is at some point it will be like all these you know generated images when you look at them and they are different but are they really because they all kind of look the same with you know all these majority illustrations so that's why also i don't believe we will be um will be challenged by um, AI so much because it's still really algorithmic. It's what it's doing. It is an algorithm. So Yeah, I don't think that there's a word for uncanny valley for text, but you can definitely, I know I have an eye for um, some copy. I'm like, that definitely sounds like Chat GPT wrote that. <laughs> so maybe we can coin a term uh, for, for text that uh, sounds too robotic or not. Uh, we've had corporate speak, then social media, which is more casual. Now we're doing natural language and then computers uh, reflecting natural language. So <laughs> I'm sure word will come out. Um, well, cool. Well, tell us, um, you have a great series on the history of LLMs and your newsletter is named after Alan Turing. So why don't we dive into some of, uh, you did a special series on the history of LLM. So let's dive into what you covered there and then where Alan Turing fits into all this because um, our readers are not quite as technical as yours. So this will be a great introductory to kind of like the history of how we got to where we're at and how or why ChatGPT was able to flourish as much as it did um, last fall. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that drive me writing the newsletter is because I feel this huge lack of knowledge. Um, and um, this is my way to learn things. So I think if you really want to know some subject deep, you need to go into its history. So that was quite um, in this was one of the first ideas that we came up with that if we want to explain people what LLMs are, how they work and where they taking us, we need to explain also where they're coming from. Because I see it as a complex thing when you need to see past, the present and the future to make this whole um, pic to build it, to build this whole picture in your head. So LLMs at this point were blooming, hyping, and just the main conversation. So we just decided, why not? Why should we should we should just go back into the history and see how what are the roots of exploration of research for 
large language models. And um, the large language models are part of a bigger thing, which is called foundation models. But we decided to start with language models. So our main focus was to see what has been done with language in terms of machine learning and when did it start? So it turned out to be that this whole thing started from machine translation. And um, I highly recommend <laughs> your readers to read this series. They are not really technical. We try to make it as uh, comprehensive as possible. And also, because it's a story, we wanted to put some highlights on people who were involved in um, uh, creating this whole research and working on it. Because the, because 40s, 50s, especially 50s, uh, was so rich with these amazing scientists and researchers, and they all coming from different um, angles. What I'm trying to say is that at this uh, point, a lot of terms were coined, and uh, uh, people started to think about autom automation and about how to try and build these computers that were on people's mind for centuries actually before that and uh because we you know the, the 20th centuries became this industrial revolution we got power we got things that we could work to actually like build these machines and also we had these huge wars that actually required to have this special tools to be able to you know be uh better than your enemy so um, machine translation actually uh, became a really hot research topic uh, when the war was, uh, when, it, when it was the Second uh, World War, uh, because Americans needed to understand what Germans were doing. And when the war was um, ended, when the Cold War started, that was very, very um, rich um, research and development stage because how would you understand these crazy Soviets? What are they working on? How do we translate? Can we translate it much faster? So a lot of, a lot of um, budget money was uh, channeled to make it work and uh when you read this the history you understand really and some people know that like the internet was initially the uh governmental the military uh network that at some point just became public but all the research was paid by um the governmental money the same with artificial intelligence machine learning uh in 20th century depra the agency was putting millions into the into research and um it was the way that uh, especially i think was for some reason for air force so they had this huge budgets but they didn't have really a good strategy because probably not very many people understood what is it what is like where is it taking us but they had this they had a bunch of these smart super smart people that were working on these algorithms and um, machine translation on trying to um, making machines uh, play chess 
So the decision-making process was just like, well, this is a good scientist. We give him money. And if the scientist says, well, this is another good scientist who has a good idea, we'll give money to him. So there was basically no control, but because it was like just a small bunch of people who were all very interconnected and they really were very interested in the research, it like the money went the right way. But it was just very interesting to learn that there was like literally no understanding <laughs> what's going on and what how it can be, how it can be used, which eventually led to um, AI, uh, the first AI winter, because the expectations were so huge. They thought that machines would just become this, you know, actual part of our life immediately, but the computational power was not there. Um, there was not enough even data, but mostly computational uh, power was just, uh, the compute was just not enough. So, but going back to Alan Turing, what always um, fascinated me is that he was um, such an outcast, basically, but he thought of the machines and of their capability to think very early. So he wrote this paper, I have it right here, Computing Machinery and Intelligence, published in Mind, a Quarterly Review of Psychology and Philosophy. So these were the places where people would publish um, their papers about machine learning. Because there was, in the 50s, there was no such science as computer science. So he was the first who asked this question, can machines think? And uh, of course, we have a long history before that of um, human-like robots of automata of uh, even Frankenstein is partly sort of artificial intelligence because it's just this constant desire to build something that can think that can be as human. Um, but he was um, he thought about it the way that we're thinking about it now. So I was reading this paper, um, and the questions he poses is just the same questions we either just solved or we're still coming to solve them. So if you think about it, it's 73 years ago. This person just, um, the war just uh, finished, basically. He worked so hard on Enigma and on this deciphering machine that helped crack the uh, German code. Um, and he just never stopped. He was just uh, in this, in his mind, machines could think. In his mind, that was all happening. He didn't have enough resources. He probably didn't have enough support. But it's fantastically um, contemporary paper that he wrote 73 years ago. So um, my intention was um, to, like the whole intention of uh, Turing Post is to connect the dots. So I thought that people should know what Alan Turing was up to, what he was thinking about, what John von Neumann was thinking about, how all this amazing people working together, what happened on this Dartmouth 
conference that literally, you know, changed the world. Um, and that's when artificial intelligence, at least as a term, started. Um, because it still comes to us, all these ideas, we're still working on them. So I always believe that if you learn what people were thinking about, and it's still not done, you can just take this idea and maybe now we can do it. So yeah, I believe um, Turing would be really fascinated um, by what's happening right now with all this Gen AI. I'm sure. Well, thank you so much for for doing a deep dive and history and preview of what's in your um, LLM's history uh, series. Uh, well, one question following uh, Turing, because you mentioned that there's a few questions that he posed that we're still working on today. And I was wondering if any stood out to you as being like really interesting or uh, that you think we'll solve soon or just like interesting questions that we're, we're still working on that, that you can share with us um i think what is interesting is um the that the conversation that's ongoing about the intelligence and uh what is it um what the intelligence is what consciousness is and if it's really important because for turing it was not as important um it was not actually about like the machine's actual thought process, but it was more about the ability to mimic like to mimic human-like responses. So, in terms of uh, Turing test, um, I believe these large language models can pass it because they are really well mimicking humans. Um, but it's funny: can machines think? I don't think we have answered to this question. And this is still the, big, the biggest um, question because we don't really know what intelligence is and what consciousness is. So um, I think coming from Turing and still ongoing, we just need to think about these questions. And that would be this huge discussion for uh, the next couple of months, years, because um, if we know, like when we answer these questions, we would probably know more about how we're going to live with these machines and how we want to um, limit or not limit them. And also maybe we should just shouldn't think in human terms if we're speaking about machines because um, somehow a lot of people apply that machines would be bad to humans that that would like to distinguish uh, to extinguish us but it's a human way to think about other things because we want to dominate who told us that the machines wants to dominate us they are machines they might not think that way if we can say that so um that's that's i think what would uh drive the research and all the philosophical um environment around it yeah i love that 
with uh, these chatbots and whatnot and where we're at with the the current AI, it's just a big mirror. And we, like what you said, we haven't figured out what consciousness is, intelligence. And with, with uh, AI, it's just a big mirror showing us back who we are, the way that it's been trained through the internet, but also what we don't know about ourselves. So I think it's just a really interesting time really what we're learning about ourselves um, or the the gaps that we still have yet to learn uh, using AI as a mirror. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. We're learning a lot about ourselves. Oh, and I was speaking to someone uh, the other day and she said something interesting that at the industrial revolution, she was saying that we're comparing humans to machines and now machines to humans. <laughs> yeah. But I like what you said that uh, maybe we shouldn't center ourselves around the language uh, for machines, but <laughs> that's so human to center ourselves at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking that it's, it's quite interesting that the imitation game paper by Turing now was published in psychology and philosophy. Maybe we should just come up with a machine psychology, you know, this different type of philosophy and not depend on our human flawed psychology and philosophy. Well, for those who don't know what the Turing test is, I think it's worth explaining uh, because it has a lot of implications right now um, with how we do interact uh, with AI specifically through the chatbots. Um, so can you, for those who may not know or may not have seen the movie, The Imitation Game with, uh, actually, I don't know if that's covered in that movie, but The Imitation Game with um, Benedict Cumberbatch is a great feature film on Alan Turing. Um, if you haven't seen it, definitely recommend um, but what was the other movie? Oh, Ex Machina. Ex Machina does an amazing job exploring the Turing test. And I highly recommend that film for anyone who hasn't seen it. Uh, but uh, I digress. Um, tell us uh, what the what the Turing test is. Yeah, um, I love the Imitation Game movie, um, but it doesn't cover uh, the Turing test. It's, it's uh, focusing on the, uh, developing the Enigma machine, the translation machine. The Turing test is also called the Imitation Game, is uh, when you text chatting with two people, entities, someone in separate chat rooms, and one is a human and one is a computer. And both try to... Uh, convince you of their humanity. After this conversation, you can tell, you can reliably tell who is who, then the machine is said to have uh, passed the Turing test. And um, um, again, I was saying that before, but this test is actually um, underpins the foundation questions. Can machines think or behave like humans, but in terms of uh, not actual thought process, but can they have this ability to mimic human-like responses? And um, the capabilities of current foundation models, and just for the audience to understand the difference between foundation models and uh, large language models, is that foundation models is just wider term for text, image, video, sound, um, and when large uh, language models, it's just about text. So uh, currently the capabilities are so huge, and especially now when we're coming to this multimodality world when we can do text to image, text to video, image to 
video, text, or whatever, and just this uh, whole mix of things. Uh, I think it's uh, we can say that they can mimic humans pretty well. I'm not really uh, aware of a good next step after the Turing test, but what you said about Ex Machina, again, I think the idea of Turing test is very well implemented in it, but also the view is very, very human way of thinking, because for some reason we just assume that this uh, machine would want to act like a human and that she has all these villain thoughts. But how do we know that it has it? It's um, it might have a completely different psychology. So I'm I'm kind of struggling with myself right now because we also published a very good article about anthropomorphiz- anthropomorphizing artificial intelligence. And it's a big and very important question because um, when we're speaking about the machines using she, he, that's like making it human-like already. Um, when we say they think, when they say they can hear us, speak to us, that's like making them also human-like. So we already make them kind of pass the human-like test because we make them human-likes. Um, but that's not the right language, actually, I think. We might need to come up with a better uh, wording for it because... Um, they can't really hear, they can't really talk. Um, but it's something, and I, I don't really know what's the right thing to, to how to talk about it, but we should not anthropomorphizing it just too much. <laughs> I know uh, Rafiq uh, Anandal, who came up in a conversation for a recent podcast, uh, he's an AI artist, and he really explores the question, if machines dream, what does that look like? And I love that question. It kind of captured my imagination, but it it's so nicely, I guess it's still you know, associating human dreaming to machines, but I still love that question that, that he explores. Um, and we also had Eric Solomon as a guest on the show. And one of that episode was AI will never be human. And he found it actually problematic that if we think the machines are responding as like human, like, um, especially when it comes to empathy and we might not tell the difference that that's not good for us because we need to, um, connect with people who have lived experiences and who are empathetic and whatnot. So it's, it's definitely an interesting time to, to explore these subjects of uh, what it means to be human and, you know, what Turing poses of, if we can't tell the difference, does it even matter? Uh, but I, I think I lean towards Eric that it, it does matter, especially on certain su- subjects that we're connecting with other humans, especially on an empathetic uh, level. But curious your reaction or thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah, first of all, I, uh, I wanted to add to the Rafik Anandal. Um, I really love his art. And uh, I think this exploration of this uh, huge mass of data and how he proceeds it for his creativity uh, it's a you know it's a pure creation just based on a completely different media and uh, the artists are always famous for playing with different media so in that sense I um, I can just admire how he uh, utilized 
what he has with all this machine learning experience he had. Um, can machine think uh, would be... It's funny, I kind of think that machine can think because um, we can build an algorithm and it's just more direct um, to construct this thinking process, especially for a task. But dreaming is just such an unstructured thing that we don't even understand what it is. So I certainly think that augmented people would be <laughs> able to dream. And uh, I think that's one of the next steps for humans. Not that AI will come and take our place, but that we, we will be just augmented as we are augmented right now with these current tools. Because having ChatGPT as my editor definitely is augmentation of my writing capabilities too much humanization of it um and we we talking about it in this article is that it just changes your perspective and it actually limits you because if you think just in this mimic human angle that's not very wide. You need to have a bigger picture. You just need to explore every possibility of the machine or the algorithm. We as researchers should not limit ourselves. And we as humans, and I think especially it's important to like observe kids, how they interact, how they learn empathy. We can't, we can't teach them some basics, how to show emotions, how to talk about your feelings, how to show empathy, but it's it's basic thing. You really learn how to do it just getting this experience human to human. And um, sometimes it's enough to yell at your Siri and, you know, just let out the anger, but it's not therapeutical like in the long term. So, you can use these tools as supportive thing, but I'm doubtful about all this AI assistance that some companies working on that are supposed to be like your therapist, like your friend. I find this concept very scary, not because it's really going to happen. I think if it's just a supportive role, it's amazing as having your gps navigator is helpful but also it cannot just be the only thing you still need to be able to see this world in this beauty and this variety of things i reference movies a lot just because um they're such an easy i guess reference point uh for lack of better words uh but what you said like humans are limited i think sometimes we don't like to think of ourselves as limited um but we are and one movie that came to mind as you were saying that is lucy uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it has Scarlett Johansson in it. And I think it does a good job of capturing you know, the possibility of machines doing so much more. Although it, it was technically like a human brain at a uh, larger scale. So maybe that's not the best reference point, but that we're just so limited and even thinking about machines. But then, you know, if I think this is one of the interesting um parts of this conversation is, well, if we can't imagine it because of our own limitations 
to our imagination, like what's beyond our imagination and what's the reference point to get there. And, you know, I don't think we, we've figured that out yet. Um, so I think that's an interesting thing and, uh, you know, new discoveries or something might help us with the imaginative bridge to, to really understand. I think if I want the viewers to remember one thing is I think that's why the history part of education is so important and that to really understand what's going on and where are we moving to is to have this whole picture, um, in front of your eyes because that's what actually uh gives you more space gives you more freedom to think gives you the opportunity to be more creative um uh, because um it's the way we can think about literacy at some point just let's say not sure if my numbers are right but let's say 10 percent or five percent of people um know how to read and write and they had this freedom uh, of creating new stuff. Now, I think that's what actually um, the artificial intelligence brings us, this new level of literacy, which if we use it properly and if we let ourselves use it properly, I think that will widen our imagination, our creativity, it will give just more people even the opportunity to be more human to realize what are the flaws that we are so scared of because that's exactly why we afraid the machines we we are afraid that they will take all the bad parts from us maybe we just need to realize them educate ourselves and become better people i love that uh and and one um thing that i heard that i thought was a good example of what machines in the, in the positive possibilities. Um, it's a researcher from MIT, uh, Raman. Uh, he said, like, could you imagine instead of just one Einstein trying to understand, um, you know, the nature of reality that you have 10 Einsteins that are trying to figure this out. And with all these AI tools, we're going to have, he used the reference point of Einstein, but like all these Einsteins working on some of the biggest questions that we haven't figured out. And, you know, I I found that as like a great reference point to help bridge of what, what could be as, as well. Um, But, but I love what you said, just, just be better humans. (laughs) That that will be a good starting point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's what the that's what moved the world. Uh, the literacy moved the world um, so much further because in twenty centuries, when so much more people uh, learned how to read, how to write, this whole revolution of technologies happened. That's so true. Well, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Um, I'll be sure to put uh, the links to where everyone can sign up for your newsletter and do a deeper dive into the subjects that uh, you spoke on today and um, vice versa for anyone listening uh, that's new to Creativity Squared. uh, We're going to cross promote uh, the interview on both of our newsletters and platforms. uh, And it's been such a pleasure. So thank you for sharing some time with us today and giving us a preview of all the good stuff that you have on touring post thank you so much helen that was a pleasure and interesting talk yeah i think we need to think more about ai and creativity and how we can use it oh well, we'll have you on the show again uh, to do a deeper dive <laughs> on that that conversation because i'd, I'd love to to talk with you about that too <laughs> so well thank you again 
Thank you for spending some time with us today. We're just getting started and would love your support. Subscribe to Creativity Squared on your preferred podcast platform and leave a review. It really helps. And I'd love to hear your feedback. What topics are you thinking about and want to dive into more? I invite you to visit creativitysquared.com to let me know. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter so you can easily stay on top of all the latest news at the intersection of AI and creativity. Because it's so important to support artists, 10% of all revenue Creativity Squared generates will go to ArtsWave, a nationally recognized nonprofit that supports over 100 arts organizations. Become a premium newsletter subscriber or leave a tip on the website to support this project and ArtsWave. And premium newsletter subscribers will receive NFTs of episode cover art and more extras to say thank you for helping bring my dream to life. And a big, big thank you to everyone who's offered their time, energy, and encouragement and support so far. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. This show is produced and made possible by the team at Play Audio Agency. Until next week, keep creating.